Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday service, and also to those joining us online. And I just want to, before we do our reading, just take a moment to thank everyone who participated in our streamathon yesterday. Thank Narayan and Dharma Devi for driving up from LA to host it, and all the generous gifts that came in both from within the community and online. I think most of us heard our goal was to raise $50,000 in an hour for the temple, and we raised $80,000 for the new temple. So that is good. So our topic this week from Race of the One Light is the importance of soul receptivity. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Chapter 1 of the Gospel of St. John states, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. This was a passage Paramahansa Yogananda often quoted to his disciples. Be in tune, he would tell them. Delusion can't touch you if you will keep in tune. A few of you will fall, he once said but it needn't be if you would stay in tune. Of a disciple who became highly advanced, even though she didn't meditate much, he said, she got there by attunement. To one who found meditation difficult, he said, I will meditate for you as long as you stay in tune. Truth is a state of consciousness not a well-worded definition. It is in that consciousness, above all, that our lives are transformed. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, to those who are ever attached to me and who worship me with love, I impart discernment by means of which they attain me. Out of my love for them, I, the divine within them, set a light in them, the radiant lamp of wisdom, thereby dispelling the darkness of their ignorance. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, Yeah, I will. Can someone bring up that little table we use? I have a bit of a scratchy throat, and I think I might need some water during the talk. I tried to use the old line of, I don't think I can give the talk today. <laughs> <laughs> to, get, to get Davy to do it. But 
we've been married far too long and she wouldn't fall for it. So. If I have to cough and clear my throat, that's just the way it is. Okay, I'm going to read a beautiful prayer demand from Whispers from Eternity, but I'd like to do it in a slightly different way this morning. You know, each of these is like, Master said that the primary problem is that we're all sick with the illness of delusion. And each one of these prayer demands is like a specific prescription to help cure some part of that delusion. And so I'm going to read this, ask us all to participate in a slightly different way. Because if I just read it and you listen to it, it's a little bit like me reading the label on a prescription and you thinking that's going to cure you. It won't really do that. So I'm going to read it. I want you to close your eyes. And I want, I'll read it through twice. It's relatively short. And I want you to really participate. If you take these words in and you really intensely drive them into your consciousness, they have real power to change you. And you'll see how important that is. Uh, this is called, O Divine Sculptor, Chisel Thou My Life. So close your eyes. As I say, I'm going to read this through twice. But really, you participate by affirming this prayer as I read it. Every sound that I make, let it have the vibration of thy voice. Every thought that I think, let it be saturated with the consciousness of thy presence. Let every feeling that I have glow with thy love. <clears throat> Let every act of my will be impregnated with thy divine vitality. Let every thought, every expression, every ambition be ornamented by thee. O divine sculptor, chisel thou my life according to thy design. So I'll read that again and really participate in these words and make them a true prayer from your heart. Every <clears throat> sound that I make, let it have the vibration of thy voice. Every thought that I think, let it be saturated with the consciousness of thy presence. Let every feeling that I have glow with thy love. Let every act of my will be impregnated with thy divine vitality. Let every thought, every expression, every ambition be ornamented by thee. O divine sculptor, chisel thou my life according to thy design. To the divine, or in our case, attuning ourselves to the guru as the sculptor, as the chiseler of our life. There was a beautiful book uh, which was called Shaped by Saints by a dear friend of ours. And he decided that early in his life, he wanted his life to be shaped 
by saints, by the consciousness of saints. So he spent his life traveling in the Himalayas and uh, visiting many, many different saints. And that concept of our life being shaped by a saint, shaped by the divine consciousness, is what this attunement is really about. And so for us, let's take the chiseler of our life, the sculptor of our life, as being God, but God represented in the form of our guru because his consciousness was united with God. And God seems distant and amorphous to most of us. But master, or whatever saint, whatever master you are attuned to, that's the manifestation uh, of that consciousness into this reality. And so by attuning deeply to that consciousness, then we are able to have our consciousness shaped by that. Swami, many, many years ago, toward the beginning of the Ananda experience, wrote a little booklet called 26 Keys to Higher Awareness. And in each of those, there was a specific technique or a specific attitude that brought higher consciousness. So you think of a key ring with 26 keys on them, and when you wanted a particular door to be opened, you used that key. Well, if you go to any hotel, the maid carries, used to be a skeleton key. Now it's a little pass, a card pass, but think of that skeleton key. That skeleton key opens all of those doors. Every room that you want to go in is opened by that one key. That one key is attunement to the guru. That's why it's so completely important that we open our hearts, open our minds, as we just do every morning. We had the purification ceremony, and we all repeat, open your heart to me, and I will enter and take charge of your life. So we have to, with our own will, God will not impose upon us. He has given us free will. With our own will, we have to open ourselves to be shaped by the consciousness of the guru through attunement. And if we do that, then our life changes. We end up by saying, by the grace of our masters. We are free. We, you are free. By the grace of our masters, you are free. And so... It is through the grace, it's through the openness and the attunement to that divine ray that we ultimately are, are changed and are freed. So the question then is how do we do that? How do we open ourselves to the guru? How do we attune? How do we actually achieve that? You know, Anandamoy Ma, in answering a question about free will, said basically everything is determined by our karma, past karma and tendencies. But we have one choice. We have the choice to love God or not to love God. 
And that's the only choice. Master used to say, God has everything in the whole universe. He created it. It's all his. But the one thing that he does not have, because he gave us the free will to withhold it, he does not have our love for him. We have to give that to God. And in the giving of that to God, then we are sculpted by his consciousness. Then he can enter and take charge of our life and free us from delusion. But unless we do that, then he can't do that. He won't do that. So then, as I say, the question becomes, how do we attune ourselves to God? Well, there's outer ways that we do that. And those are important. I don't want to demean them. Having pictures of the master around, having uh, reminders, reading his words, listening to his voice, all of that. I actually have a little eye watch here, and you can't quite see it, but the face on this is a series of pictures of master. So every time I look at the time, I see a different photo of master. Reminds me of him. Keeps me close to him. But that's nice though it is. I know that I'm not going to be liberated by having master's photo <laughs> turning on my wrist. It has to go much, much deeper than that. So we do have to have those outer reminders. But they're only reminders. The photo on the altar is only ink on paper. That's all it is. But if we use that as a reminder that in that photo there is the ray that opens up to the consciousness of the guru, then that love of our heart going toward that turns it from a photo to a murti, from, from something that is just just physical to something that has the power to change. When we had, murtis are very important in India. A murti is generally a statue into which you have, with devotion, and always there's a, generally a ceremony by which you install that murti, which we will do when we dedicate the temple. You install the murti, which is at that point just a statue, but then you invoke the living presence of God to come into that. And if that is done, it becomes real. There are many, many stories of... Um, recently, there was a, a huge flood that killed thousands of people. There was a murti in a temple that had been there for centuries, they decided to take that out and move it somewhere. Within two or three years, a huge flood came and destroyed that temple and killed thousands of people. Now, was God angry at them because they removed the murti? Of course not. But that murti has a protective aura. And if we take that and disregard it, then it isn't there. We had a series of murtis, you know, all of the masters, we had little statues of them in our center in Chennai. And then they got a new bigger center 
and they decided we'll move those murtis to the new center. And the older center, the one that we had, had beautiful vibrations. We were there many times. But they had a ceremony where early in the morning they had all of the people of that congregation together and they carried those murtis. It was about two or three miles. They carried those murtis chanting and devotionally singing from the old temple to the new temple. The leaders, Dharmarajan and Dharmini, said when they went back to the old temple, it had no vibration. It had been there for three or four years, but it had no vibration once the presence of God was removed. Now, that's the difference between outer things because that had been imbued with consciousness. <coughs> See, we can't just have outer reminders without deep devotion and deep giving of ourselves to that. So coming back, it all de is really dependent, determined by our calling to God, by our wanting Him, by opening ourselves to God. Jesus in the Bible said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. strength. It means energy. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophet. That means all of the regulations that keep us aligned, all of the great teachers are all summed up in those two little phrases. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. And thou shalt love the neighbor, thy neighbor as thyself. Now, we'll repeat that phrase, but we're going to do it as a prayer to God. So we're, we'll repeat it this morning. And again, if you really, really mean that, then God will come in. Listen carefully to the, to the reading this morning, because anybody who's been here and gone through the uh, Festival of Light will remember that phrase because it's a beautiful prayer and it's very meaningful. But I doubt that many of you really know what comes before that. Think for a moment. Do you know what comes before that in the Festival of Light? Swami begins talking about how the avatar, how God is drawn down to earth and he's talking about that the chosen people are those of every race and nation who with deep love choose God. And that's how, and then immediately follows that prayer, with all my heart, with all my mind, and so on. I will love you. And so it's our love that draws the consciousness of the guru and draws, in this case we're talking about the descent of the consciousness of master or your chosen master. How does that consciousness descend from the ether into your consciousness, into your body? The first thing is that it has to be done 
by the call of your love, the free will choice that you have to make. And it isn't just a choice and you do it or you don't do it. It's a spectrum. The more you do it, the more deeply you open yourself to that influence. So that attunement, that calling of your heart and deep opening means that Master and God have the opportunity then to come in and shape your life according to their consciousness, to chisel your consciousness as the divine sculptor. Otherwise, they're just there waiting, waiting until you call on them, deeply call on them. And so that's the first thing that is important, the first methodology, one might say, of attunement, is that you have to deeply, in your own self, with your own free will, open yourself to the divine. Now that can't be done once and then you're done, you're all free, you know, like you, so many people want to go to the saint or the guru and he taps them with a peacock feather and that's it, they're, they're enlightened. It doesn't quite work that way, sorry, it'd be, be nice, we could get some peacock feathers and <clears throat> be great. So it doesn't work that way. You have to constantly open yourself. So that means that in meditation, see what, what God is, and I'll talk now more inwardly, God is consciousness. He isn't a thing, a person. The guru is consciousness. He isn't a thing or a person really. He may manifest. God may manifest as things, but that doesn't enclose his essence. And the guru may manifest in a body, but that doesn't enclose his essence. It's a state of consciousness. And in our, now yogically, in our body, the guru or that consciousness of Christ consciousness resides at the spiritual eye. And so we in deep meditation, that's why we concentrate here. The, the techniques bring us to that point where resides or em, embodies in our body and in our mind and brain the presence of the higher consciousness. So, so this represents, each of the chakras represent different things, but the spiritual eye is the abode of Krishna, the abode of God, the abode of Christ, Christ consciousness occurs here. And so in deep meditation, what we do is we do those practices that bring our mind to that point. And if we can hold our mind in the light or hold our mind in the concentration of Om, Master said meditation, he defined it as deep concentration on God or on one of the eight aspects of God. <clears throat> So, if we can hold our mind and appear into the light at the Christ center or appear or listen to the sound of Om, then that vibration will sculpt our consciousness in the image. We are created in the image of God. 
And so that will sculpt us, taking away the dross and the other aspects, the delusion, and we will be living in the image of God. So the more deeply that we can do that in meditation and open ourselves deeply and quietly, then the more that process takes place. But it isn't only in meditation that we want to do that. Master said of all the techniques, of all of them, and there are hundreds, in fact, we're working on this, you'll enjoy this, you know, we're doing a lot of work with the institute that we're working on, with Diana's help and a crew in India. She always, she magnetizes people like nobody else, <laughs> volunteers. If we had a hundred Dianas, we would have 20,000 volunteers trying to work with us. Anyway, she had a whole crew and they've gone through a lot of master's teachings, the old lessons and uh, um, various uh, lectures that he's given and different books and so on. And we've taken out all of the techniques that are in there. We're going to create a database. So if you want a technique for stilling the mind, we'll be able to go to that database and find 20 different techniques specifically for that and so on. Just one of many projects that are going on for the Institute. Anyway, so coming back to this, of all of those techniques, let's say 200, 500 techniques that Master gave, you know what he said was the most powerful of all? Keep your mind constantly at the point between the eyebrows. Because that aligns you to the concentration, to the point where the Christ consciousness inhabits our body. So coming back to that, one of the most, all of our techniques are meant to withdraw the energy and bring them up to that point. And so the techniques that we have are all meant to attune us to that Christ consciousness. In this beautiful poem, uh, God, 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 there's one of the verses, or I don't know what you call them, the little segments of it, is the spotlight of my mind will ever keep turning on thee, and in the battle din of activity, my silent war cry will be God, God. God. But when we do that at Christmas time, with Master reading that or, or speaking that, instead of saying, God, 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 he says, no matter where I go, the spotlight of my mind will ever keep turning on thee. And in the battle din of activity, my silent war cry will be, God, Christ, Guru. And so that God, Christ, Guru, we constantly want to keep turning the spotlight of our mind toward that. And this is the, one could say, the physical location of that in the body. So if we can keep our consciousness more here, then it will change our consciousness. And that's why... Lahiri Mahashaya said the solution to all problems 
is Kriya Yoga. Why? Because Kriya brings our energy, brings our consciousness to that point. In the Gita it says, a, even a little practice of this inward religion will free you from dire fears and colossal sufferings. Now, why is that? Why would even a little practice of that free you from dire fears? Well, what is fear? Fear is concern about the unknown. It's always, you don't fear the past, that's gone. You don't fear the present, because that's, that's the very moment of the present. But your fear is about the fear of the unknown, what's going to happen? Oh, there's a threat. Oh, I might lose my money. I might lose my job. I might lose my health. I might lose my relationship. Oh, I could, oh, worry, 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 worry about that. Uh, we have a good friend whose mother was worried about something, and she, that's a total preoccupation for about two weeks, and the event didn't happen. It was some relative, I don't know, sickness or illness or, anyway, it didn't happen. And she kind of chuckled and said, well, I wasted a good worry on that one. <laughs> but, but worry and fear is all about the, the concern of the unknown. So why would our dire fears be solved by this technique of bringing your, of a little bit of this inward religion? Because when we attune ourselves with the light, that becomes our reality. That universal light becomes our reality. And we're, when we're in that light, nothing can happen. Nothing, there's no fear. Because our faith is complete. And I, there are many stories where Master puts light around something, put light around a, a sailboat that uh, Dr. Lewis, his disciple, was in a squall in Boston. Master was in. Uh, California, and he knew that, and he put light around that boat, and and uh, Dr. Lewis remembered that Master had told him that if you chant Om, nothing can touch you because Om is that same vibration. Nothing can touch you. He chanted Om and was able to safely sail away. So Master, from three thousand miles away called up Dr. Lewis when he got home, said, came close to getting wet, didn't you, Mass? Uh, didn't you, doctor? So, see that, that surrounding ourselves, like the bringing the energy into the murti, bringing the energy of God into our consciousness takes away fear. And it also takes away colossal suffering. What is suffering? What suffers? The soul doesn't suffer. The ego suffers, the soul thinking that I'm this body and I'm this personality. That's what suffers, the soul doesn't suffer. So the more we can get our consciousness into the unification of, of uh, between us and the attunement of the Christ consciousness or the attunement of master at the spiritual eye, it takes away those fears, it takes away the suffering. Even a little practice of that will do it. And so, when we do our techniques, then we want to bring our consciousness more and more. 
And I'm going to end with this. It's just doing all of this work uh, with the getting preparing for the classes in Inner Renewal Week and um, helping, I don't know, draw the uh, inspiration for the formation of the new institute we're doing. That consciousness and new kinds of insights have come as we do that. And this is more for um, Korea Bonds and those of us who've been on the path some way, some time. And it's a little esoteric, but it was an interesting insight that came into my mind. Master, as we know, taught that every time we inhale, there's a current of energy that goes up in the subtle spine, and it comes up to the medulla and then down. So the ear and the pingala, that energy comes up and down every time we breathe in and we breathe out. So think of that energy rising in the spine and then descending. I was practicing Hong Sa two or three weeks ago, and it occurred to me that there is a mirroring of that on the physical plane. As we inhale, the nose is kind of like the outer expression of the spine. And so the energy comes up and then it descends. So the inhale and then the exhale repeats that pattern. But when we concentrate on Hong Sa, which is watching the breath, now that's watching the breath, observing the breath, is kind of the fundamental practice of many, many paths of meditation. When you hear about mindfulness meditation, the foundational practice of that is observing the breath. And so that observing the breath, and so I was meditating on that, and if you think about observing the breath here, so the energy as you inhale is rising in the spine, the breath is coming in and you're observing it here. Well, the breath here is at the fore part of the brain. The medulla is at the back of the brain. And so if we can bring the energy up and then not just have it descend, but bring it to the spiritual eye, that's where we achieve more enlightenment. So that practice, even on a physical level, helps us to stimulate that area and bring the consciousness toward there. I find it interesting. And anyway, <laughs> I like these little esoteric things, so, so I thought I'd share that with you. But coming back to the essence, attunement with the guru, attunement with the light, attunement with the consciousness of God is the key that opens up everything else that we're seeking. And that's why to everyone who received him gave he the power to become the sons of God. Receiving, opening ourselves to that influence, then God is able to be the divine sculptor and chisel us in the true image of who we are, which is the same as God. Oh,
sadness of quenchless yearning for the light, for my love, your true Long your heart has played the dance, long you've toyed with me. Oh,